You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. Something she told me. Hello, I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. She's so beautiful. Tell me about her. Oh, she's wonderful. She's a lovely girl. What age are we living in? One can be as free as one likes without guilt or confession. Please, I know exactly who you are. He can be the first great American conductor. There's a price for being in my brother's orbit, you know that. I love people so much that it's hard for me to be alone. That music, it keeps me glued to life. I don't even know how much you need me to. I might. If summer doesn't sing in then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, and you can't make music. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we're back, and we've got a great one. We are looking at the film Maestro. It has been getting a lot of talk, a lot of, there was a lot of controversy even before this film was even, you know, you know, any pictures or anything about a prosthetic nose. Really, folks, a prosthetic nose. You know, there's so much more things. Was it a good movie? Was it a bad movie? We're going to be talking all about that, and we have a great crew to talk all about it. We originally were going to have Ashley Pauls with us, but sadly, she's fallen ill, and she'll be back next week with us. But we have, in her place, Jeff Dwoskin's back. Welcome, my friend. How are you? It's so good to be here. Uh, sorry, I had to bump Ashley again. <laughs> well, you know, so you're the one who gave her the virus. Got it. Sorry, this you can give her flu. Like, oh, we need Jeff last minute. I'm available. Mm, well, we didn't even get you last minute. You were going to be up here anyway. So I know, but I know you just wanted the spotlight. So, so in that case, we'll just point the camera to you for the whole night tonight. So it'll just be the Jeff show. So there we go. So, 
I can point out all but, my goodies in the background. Of course, of course. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Mike Gordon is here. Howdy. This is going to be a fun one to talk about tonight, guys. And I didn't know what I was going to expect. I've heard performances were great. I heard, you know, some people loved it. Some people didn't. So it'll be very curious to see what you two gents are going to say about this. Remember, folks, we are going to spoil the heck out of this one. So be prepared. So if you're not familiar with the life of Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> yeah. exactly. if, you, if you don't know if Leonard Bernstein is alive or dead, turn it off now. Because, exactly. Because we're going there. We're going there. We are going to touch on all of that. So definitely. Oh, before we touch on the movie itself, I think it should be pointed out, too, that for those people who might have looked at our schedule last month or whatever, might be surprised that we are covering Maestro as opposed to uh, Aquaman 2. Um, but to be honest with you, even and though she's not here, uh, the three of us, um, Ashley, myself, and Mike, uh, kind of talked about it last week or so and, and said, you know what? None of us are excited to see Aquaman 2. Not um, let's means. do something nope. else. So, uh, uh, so uh, apologies to everybody who, you know, went and saw Aquaman 2. Not that you were waiting for us to review it, but, uh, but for. You wouldn't have said nice things about it. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think we probably saved you some hardship if uh, we had seen it. Um, and, you know, whether or not we made a, a better decision or not, it should be interesting to talk about it uh, when we talk about Maestro. But um, also in the beginning, we usually talk about box office. This is a Netflix owned and distributed movie. They released it to a handful of theaters for a couple of weeks just so they could get that like Oscar buzz. Right. Uh, that Oscar nom so that they could say it was in the theaters for a little while. They've released no information, big surprise. They've released no information about how well the movie did in the theater, but it was only a handful of theaters. It's roughly estimated that it made half a million dollars in the theaters. So not a huge success. Um, I have seen it pop up on the top 10 of Netflix as far as what people are watching. Uh, it's showed up on a lot of top 10 lists of, uh, folks that, uh, like folks lists, critics list of best movies of the year, best performance of the year. And I'd have to go through it individually, but I believe it showed up in nominations for best, uh, for golden globes, which just came out recently. Yes. It's nominated for best director, also best, um, leading actor and best leading actress and also best, best picture. Yes. So, so, you know, uh, I mean, and, and, and to its credit, uh, Aquaman 2 was, was not in any of those categories. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm. No, but the Razzies are coming. So don't worry about that. <laughs> they, they are. Do you know who the first winner of the Razzies were for best actor and best supporting actor? No, who? Neil Diamond and Sir, uh, Olivier, uh, <laughs> Sir Lawrence. Oh, Olivier. for. The Jazz Singer. Sorry, the Jazz, the Jazz Singer. I only know that because I haven't yeah. watched The Jazz Singer last night. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was just Googling stuff. And uh, uh, <laughs> interesting no, bit of trivia, I thought. <laughs> my mother-in-law is a huge, huge Neil Diamond fan. So we watched it multiple times with her. So I do understand. Oh, I love The Jazz Singer. It's like, I don't, my wife was just randomly watching it. It was uh, one of the greatest soundtracks ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's my second favorite uh neil diamond movie so it's pretty cool uh it's what saving silverman 
Yep. <laughs> How did you know? That's awesome. <laughs> Come on, when he sings Havana Gila at the bar, <laughs> just awesome. Uh, well, getting back to Maestro. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're I think I'm going to be saying already. a lot. I had a lot in the next hour or so. Um, uh, but... Um, Jeff, we'll start with you. Did you have any sort of expectations going into this? Were you, how familiar were you with the subject matter um, as a as a documentary, or not a doc, a docudrama, we should say, right? As well as, you know, Bradley Cooper's uh, previous efforts. I didn't know much about it. Um, I knew that, you know, the controversy that people were, I'll call it faux controversy, that people were drudging up because of, uh, him playing someone Jewish, which if you want, we can have that conversation as well. Uh, I have many thoughts on that, but here's the thing. I think Bradley Cooper, you know, like we watched like the, uh, like the rise of Ben Affleck as like this great director. Like I think Ben, I think uh, I, well, I think Ben Affleck's a great director. <laughs> like he's made some really good movies, you know, like anyway, mm-hmm. forget that for a second. Bradley Cooper, I think is just incredible. Like I thought a star is born was unbelievable. I thought he should have won a little bit more for that, but just everything he did maestro is worth it to me. When I say, should you watch it? I think everyone should watch this movie. Do I think everyone will like it? No, but I do think that everyone should watch this movie because I think it's that well done. It's a great, I think movie in terms of just acting and how it's shot and just, it's real. I, I just think it's, and you're watching like, like Bradley, I mean, Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese basically gave him this movie. They were going to direct it when they yeah. saw a star is born. They're like, no, you, you're going to do this movie. And so if talent like that sees it in Bradley Cooper as well, and you can see it to me on the film in the film, he just, I think he just shines. I mean, it's, I, at that level, I think it's, it's a great piece of art. Yeah, you mentioned Ben Affleck. He reminds me of a modern day Warren Beatty, actually. Uh, you know, writing, directing, acting, like being the in, totally involved uh, in the project. Uh, this was his one of his uh, dream projects for a long time. Um, for those people who don't know, the quick version is is that uh, he's wanted to be a conductor all his life, uh, so he was definitely passionate about that sort of uh, activity. Um, and when this project came, um, as Jeff pointed out, it was supposed to be, uh, directed by Spielberg and, uh, Spielberg for, um, yeah, he said that he saw Star is Born and he was like, I, you know, you should do this. Scorsese did the same thing. They both stayed on as producers. I think this is the only movie that the two of them combined have, have producing credits on one single film. Uh, so you're right. They they believe in him enough to back him up on this project. Um, so and uh, yeah, as Mike pointed out, a little bit of controversy about the uh, about the nose in particular and and about that whole process of and that is a huge can of worms, which I, I don't mind getting into. But right now I want to focus on the movie itself. Mike, what about you? What were your thoughts going into this? Um, because I knew. I knew from talking to you that you were like, I think it's going to be better than Aquaman 2. But outside of that, what did you have any expectations for this movie? It's interesting because, you know, Bernstein's music um, has always fascinated me 
from when I first started hearing West Side Story and the score for it. And I've always been, you know, when they announced that they were going to do a movie about it, I was like, oh, interesting. And Bradley Cooper has definitely always been on my radar since seeing him for the first time, I think was Hangover, was the very first time I saw him. Wow. And, you know, ever since then, pretty much everything he has done, I've liked. Um, Star is Born was beautiful. It was an amazing, amazing film. And I agree with what Jeff said, that the film should have received more accolades than it even did. And Bradley, you know, I had faith in it and everything. And the first thing I even heard that they were doing the movie about was saying, oh, Bradley Cooper's going to be pl playing Leonard Bernstein. And they're giving him a fake nose and because, you know, his nose is too small. They do prosthetics all the time on different characters and different movies and stuff. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And, you know, this is coming from a Jewish person. So, you know, it's truthfully, I wasn't offended by it. And, you know, I was just curious. I hope the movie's good. And, you know, I, you know, then they announced, you know, of course, you know, that they had, you know, Carrie Mulligan playing his wife. And it was just like, you know, Sally Sparrow, come on from Doctor Who, you know, and <laughs> many other projects that she's done. She'll always and be Sarah, Sally Sparrow to us. She always will be Sally Sparrow to me. Um, but, you know, there's just, and the the different members of the cast was just like, wow, this was just really going to be very curious about. And I didn't know a lot of the backstory about his history and everything. So that's what also fascinated me. So, you know, we'll get into that in a few minutes about what I felt about the movie and stuff. But going in, I was excited as heck about this. Yeah. Um, I, I, my um, history, I guess, with Bradley Cooper uh, goes to him, him being a regular on Alias. Um, and to be honest, um, I, looking at Bradley Cooper in that series, I had no idea. Couldn't even fathom the future that he would have as a actor and as a filmmaker. Um, it has impressed me. Um, as you mentioned, Mike, I mean, we always think of uh, Carrie Mulligan as, as Sally Sparrow and not in a derogatory way. I think a lot of us who watched her in that episode, that standout episode of Doctor Who, were like, yes, please, we want more of her. Could you make her a companion, please? I mean, it was just, we wanted more of her. And I don't think any of us are surprised that she's gone on to have an amazing career as an actress and up for many awards uh, and, and worth, you know, worth of, worthy of them too. Um, but um, that said, I saw A Star is Born and at the theater and I loved it. I thought it was a great, um, version of that story. It's been done five, six times now, I think. And, and, and Bradley Cooper was able to own it, make it, make it relevant, uh, work with, uh, Lady Gaga, who I thought did a tremendous performance. And you could just see that there was a lot of skill involved. So yeah, that, that alone made me interested to see what his next project would be, regardless of the subject matter. Um, so, um, now, uh, I pretty much, uh, know Leonard Bernstein mainly from, uh, as a, as a score composer. 
you know, from the movies and West Side Story and the, the, his theatrical contributions. I don't, I doubt I've heard a single composition of his. Um, and I certainly am not outside of a few times that I've been to an orchestra performance. I, I'm not familiar with uh, conducting as a, as a, as a, as a particular art. Um, I, I'm aware of it, but I don't know any, any details about it. And uh, just, I'll tell you after watching this movie, I still don't, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It's like, they're just yeah. doing this. And then I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah. there's a scene where the other guy is doing it and he keeps telling him he's doing it wrong. I'm like, what was he doing different than you were doing? And it's like, no, it's just, yeah. Yeah. the movie, you know, uh, the movie tells us how great he is. I think without showing us a lot, like about how the, like, if you want to watch this movie to find out, you know, why he was a great conductor, why he was a great composer, um, the things that he did and accomplished this movie doesn't, it's not a biopic in that sense. I guess that would be a documentary. Like this is more, um, focused on the relationship, uh, that he had in particular with his wife. Um, and that's, you know, that's okay. That's okay. So I'm not saying, I'm not going to fault the movie for not, you know, for not giving me a, a handheld lesson in conducting. Um, but I will say certain moments I think fell fell flat to me because of that. Um, but I was really curious to see it and I enjoyed it overall, particularly the performances, uh, despite the fact that he had his hands full with directing this and it does, it's very skillfully directed. As you pointed out, it's very skillfully. This is, this is a guy who's not just showing up and, and saying, point the camera and I'll do this. And then this guy, this has, he's thought about it. The shots, selections are very meticulously uh, done um and uh you know uh, you know whether or not he's successful or not you know we can get into and debate but i i think you can't argue that this is a professionally made artistic movie um and the great there's great performance in this i'm not surprised that a lot of them got nominated for awards and i expect as the award season continues with the oscars certainly at least uh, Bradley and Carrie and a few others will probably be prominent in, in the award nominees. Oh, very much so. And that's the cool thing about it is like you said, I also felt that there was missing, you know, more of the conducting and such and more of the magic from the music and everything. It was more about the relationship between Felicia and Leonard than anything else right and I, I think that was intentional but i also agree with you it would have been nice to do a little 15 minute stint on west side story right mm -hmm. like, exactly. i mean they mention it pretty much in passing and they use some of the music from it which is an interesting choice artistic choice during that sequence sequence but i i don't know i got the feeling that if you know his music that you were probably clued into a lot of things that if you didn't that since i didn't know i it probably i just missed it completely mm -hmm. do you guys feel that way too a little bit yeah i mean I agree with that that's what i'm saying like yeah I, that's why i feel like a lot of, if you if, we, if you watch this movie and you're into that love story and the nuances of it then you'll dig this movie 100 percent. if not then you come away with it like oh that was good <laughs> you see what they were doing but i would have liked more of this, you know, like the West Side Story piece to me is what immediately stuck out is I would have loved to have heard more about 
his role in one of the greatest musicals of all time. Cause there's, there's a lot of fascinating story behind that. Why mm-hmm. were three Jews writing West Side Story? There's a specific story behind that. And that would have just, you know, that and just their collaboration, something that would, you know, not derail the whole film with it. But I think that enough would have got people even extra interested in them doing Because to me, you see this movie, then you go do more research after if you're really interested. Oh, you have to. Yeah. You totally. You like to. dive in. But it's it needed one thing like that. One deep dive, mini deep dive to like, you know, then you could find all the other stuff. But yeah, you guys get the Wizard of Oz stuff. It went from black and white to color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that because that was on my list to talk about was the the switching and the decision to go for the first 35, 40 minutes was all black and white. Yeah. And then and the relationship boom. was nice and glorious and black and white and romantic and everything. And the minute there was the seeds of trouble started, boom, we get color. Boom. We get color and it's like, it was, it was just interesting the way they did that. And it was in some ways, I thought it would have worked better if it was color, it was either black and white the whole time. I think it would have made it a little more dramatic. I wouldn't have minded that. I I like uh, black and white films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was digging it that it was in black and white. Cause mm-hmm. it, it gave it that docudrama of old, old feel. <laughs> well, no, exactly. No, you're exactly right with that. And that's, one of the things I liked about that was that, you know, it gave you that kind of feel that you were getting and it, and it worked, it worked really well. Like the scene at the beginning at the party where, um, where the couple met and everything, it worked so well in black and white. It felt in some ways it was a retro film and that's the feel that they were trying to go for. It was an interesting artistic choice. I will say that when I was watching the black and white footage, uh, the first half of the movie or whatever, I, I did not, there was not in my, anything in my head that went, boy, I would just wish this was in color. And no. likewise, when it was in color, there was no part of me that was like, man, I wish this was in black and white. So, I mean, it didn't really affect me in the, a negative way. I thought it was an interesting choice, but it was one of those things that's kind of like, you know, it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting artistic choice, but beyond that, what does it mean? Like, you know, does that mean like, you know, before it was just storybook, you know, uh, old Hollywood romance, or you know, there was no realness to it? Or if like when it was color, that's when things got real, or I don't know, there was a lot of questions. I mean, for a movie about that was focused on the relationship, there was a lot of questions I had about their relationship that I don't feel like was, was explained very well. And to be honest with you, this movie, I I like the performances. I I, uh, respect the artistic decisions that he made. And I think it was well-made, but overall it movie left me kind of, I thought it was disjointed. I thought there was a lot of like nice scenes, but I didn't think they necessarily were connecting very well. Um, I came around with it basically thinking that was pretty good, but that that's about as far as it went. I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't put this on my best 10 of the year or anything like that. I, I thought it was, um, well done, but, um, not, it didn't connect with me as, as much as I'd hoped, I think. Right. It was interesting though, because I felt, you know, it came out obvious that, you know, Leonard Bernstein was bisexual right from the very beginning. And, you know, right from the very first scene where he woke up in when he got the call that he was going to be conducting, 
back in the 1940s that, you know, he was in bed with another guy and it was just like, you know, there was no hiding from it, but they never, the couple never confronted it until much later in the film. You know, was she turning a blind eye from it? Was she trying to hide up, you know, just ignore it? And it was just, that kind of put me in a like little, you know, type of thing. Did it, did the public not know that he was bisexual or? Well, but, probably not, you know. not, not around that time. Uh, they no. probably, they, they, they definitely wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't have him on TV if they were flaunting that. Um, so that's, that's for sure. I mean, back then you had to, I mean, unfortunately, even today you kind of have to, you know, um, mm -hmm. consider that before you, you know, make a public, uh, brand of yourself, so to speak. Well, um, no, uh, but I liked, you know, like in the scene when, you know, they introduced, uh, Maya Hawk as their daughter. And it was real interesting, you know, because the wife was saying the daughter had heard rumors when she was at camp, you know, that about the father, you know, and she says, you've got to, you know, talk to her about it, but you cannot tell her the truth. And that was a great scene. Because mm -hmm. that, that scene ends with Bradley Cooper's face so wanting to tell her the truth. <laughs> and as I, you keep I was, waiting I, for it, right, Jim? You're like, yeah. he's gonna well, tell. Was, it. But I was just like, you know, like face acting. You know, just it was so good. I got the impression um, that um, that she knew he was bisexual because I think even Sarah Silverman's character kind of at one point goes, "Well, you know, there's things that come along with being with Leonard." You know, mm -hmm. and I kind of got the impression as long as it wasn't flaunted in her face, she accepted it. Because once it, mm -hmm. once she walked in on it later, that's when the, the it started to unravel a little bit, um, where she kind of lost it a bit. That was the impression oh. I got. I don't know if I'm right when or not. When she caught him in the hallway, yeah, yeah. when she caught him in the hallway. Um, but that was because he was being because anyone could have caught him, and I think mm -hmm. as long as it was her secret, then she could live with it. But yeah, because in in a lot of ways that was disrespectful to her. Right. Like right. now you're now, now so that everybody knows this, you're disrespecting the relationship with your wife. Um, and cause now everybody's looking at her going, Oh, poor thing. Or what a fool that she's being you know, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't do her any favors. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't get the sense that that was building up. I didn't get the sense that, I mean, there's, like I said, some really great scenes in there. There's that one where they're having the argument, and uh, during the, you know, Thanksgiving and the parade floats are going by, um, I thought that was really kind of kind of interesting um, and, and compelling. Um, the camera just stays there and, and we just mm -hmm. watch them act, which is always great when you don't have to worry about cut, 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 like and all that. It's just two people in a room acting. And of course, you've got this nonsense behind them. But um but I did think that was really a, a, a like the scenes between them. I thought each individual like were great. They both have chemistry together. Um, and uh, Jeff, to your point, despite the fact that he was wearing not just a nose, I mean, obviously his chin, his ears, like they did a lot more than him to him than just. But yet they still allowed his face to act. It didn't feel like it was frozen. Um, mm -mm. You know, so I, I did appreciate that. It was. It's interesting if you look at the poster. The poster of him and uh, and Carrie, and you see Bradley Cooper. But mm -hmm. when I was watching the movie, 
I was like, wow, they did a really good job. You can kind of, you know, it's Bradley Cooper, but it's, you're not seeing Bradley Cooper. They, yeah, I agree. The, the prosthetics that they did to transform him into Leonard Bernstein was just incredible, like incredible. And especially when, when he was older, it was unbelievable. Yes. Oh, very yes. Much so. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, with his arms and you could see the, the spots and everything. Like, I mean, it's just, it looked great. Well, they did some great makeup work with all the way across. Yeah, I wouldn't when be Carrie Mulligan's if the makeup was for an yeah. Oscar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Like when she went into when she was diagnosed with cancer, and mm. you know, and she, the weight loss, and Carrie Mulligan is not a very um, softic <laughs> woman anyway. <laughs> She's okay. very very skinny, and to even make her look more drawn out than she actually is in real life, it was just amazing. And, you know, I thought it was very, it was, it was good to see that and the, you know, the aging of him. And even when he was at the disco at the very end of the movie and everything, all his hair was all white, his, you know, and all aged out. And you know, I didn't, I kept, I didn't even think that's Bradley Cooper anymore. This is, you know, Leonard Bernstein, you know. Mm-hmm. Which was pretty cool, and that's what you want with a movie, and you got that. I, I, I read this somewhere, but I was actually feeling it the whole time when I was watching the movie. Somebody wrote, I, I heard somebody say, "Can you get lung cancer from watching a movie?" <laughs> and, oh, I, and I swear to God, I felt that way the whole time. Yeah. There is so much smoking in yeah. this movie. Well, like, particularly by him. Yeah. By him. I yeah. mean, it's like, it almost gets uncomfortable at some point. Like you're like, Oh my God. I mean, it's just like cigarette after cigarette, after cigarette. I like my, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> it was so- even, even after his wife is diagnosed with cancer, he still continues to smoke. They both like a were. Chimney. They both right were right like, around them. Oh right God, I got chemo her, yeah. and smoke, smoke, smoke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but actually that's, that's fairly normal. And my mom had uh, lung cancer. Um, she was still smoking, you know, a pa- at least two packs a day. It's a hard and, habit to break. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know. I went through it. It's tough. And so, yeah. And it's, but yeah, most definitely the cigarette industry is probably saying thank you for this movie <laughs> because, you know, there's just so much fripping smoking in this film. Literally, it's just like cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. It's just like, God, that set must have been covered in ash, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I do think, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they use like actual like cigarettes now. I think now they, uh, behind the scenes, they use, they use something that's a little healthier than just like, you know, giving them like Marlboros or something. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. I mean, I don't know what he was using. Oh no, it's, it's, you know, it's cause most of the actors don't smoke anymore. Right. What they use is, you know, it's like, it's like a substitute that's not, it doesn't have nicotine. It doesn't have anything. But I, I you know, but I couldn't help but think that in addition to the fact that, you know, the real Leonard smoked, that Bradley was just thinking like, oh, the smoke's going to make a wonderful like thing for me to use artistically. Like, just, because, you know, especially in the black and white footage, just like it does in the, like in the movies from the thirties and forties you watch when people are smoking, there's that, that sort of atmosphere that that smoke like usually like invokes and uh yeah it is it is difficult i find 
you know, as a, as a former smoker, I find myself when I watch, you know, film noir that we talked about a few months ago or a few weeks ago and or a Bogart movie or something like that. Afterwards, I'm kind of like, man, I, I really would like this cigarette now. <laughs> That's it's not going to do any harm, is it? Eh, nope, it will. I, get, I looked yeah. it up real quick. Herbal cigarettes containing mm, yes. marshmallow root, passion flower, cloves or jasmine. Well, it sounds like it smells nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but then when people in high school used to smoke the clove cigarettes, it's like ah, so much nicer than smelling nicotine and tar and tobacco. You know, yeah, but that it's that yeah. I used to smoke cloves, and those are a lot harder on your lungs. Yes, so, so I would not recommend stuff, those. Oh, the stuff I smoked was pretty bad on you know my lungs too back then. But I would not recommend was, smoking to anybody. I didn't smoke, but doing stand-up comedy, I sure breathed it in for many years oh, before it got outlawed. Um, in the clubs, let's talk about that scene where they uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, the one that's going around a lot, where he's actually conducting. I was absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. There's this, yeah. There's a scene. Anybody who's looked at, I saw an interview with Bradley Cooper. Really great interview. Actually, I don't know if anybody's. I'll plug it real quick. If anybody's paying attention to Variety, they're they're posting these like actors and actors, actors with actors, directors with directors, interviews uh, on their YouTube page. And they're fascinating. And they've got one with Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper, where they're talking about each other's movies. And in that one in particular that, uh, that I watched, Bradley Cooper talks about, again, he's been wanting to conduct his entire life. He, as a kid, he loved the idea of conducting and, and so he, he, you know, it was on his radar throughout his, his youth and actually later on. And he went through six years of training for this movie while it was in development, while he was writing it, et cetera, et cetera, to, to conduct. And uh, that scene where I think it's um, uh, Mahler, right? That in the cathedral, uh, it's mm-hmm. towards the end of the movie, um, but it's uh, it's it's a symphony in, in, a, in a and I think it's a German cathedral, but I could be wrong about that. But in any case, they went to film it, and uh, they've got a an actual orchestra for him to conduct, and he goes through it, and they shoot it, and they get a few different angles, and they stop, and they shoot it some more, and then et cetera, et cetera, and afterwards. Uh, Bradley Cooper wakes up the next day and they're supposed to do other shots. So he's like, but he wakes up the next day and he's like, you know, I don't think I really nailed it. I don't think I felt, I don't, I didn't feel good about what we did yesterday. So he brought everybody back to the cathedral, (laughs) the orchestra, everybody. And he's like, you know what? We're going to do it this time. I'm going to conduct. And I just want a couple of wide cameras, like just, you know, wide shots um, you know, maybe, a, maybe a, a dolly shot coming in and slowly and everything like that. And then we'll do it. And, and so he did it again and he nailed it, not just nailed it as a shot, but he nailed it as a composer so much so that the conductor who was the, um, creative con- uh, consultant on the show, uh, came up to him and said, yesterday you were crap <laughs> as a conductor today. I believed you could be a conductor. Like I believed you were a conductor today. Oh, that's awesome. Um, wow. It's a great story. And hearing that story made me appreciate that scene. But in the movie itself, there's no build up to it. It's just there and it feels kind of flat. I wish 
Like the, the, his story about making it to me impacted me more watching that sequence than actually the movie itself did. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because even the, the first time where he's called out of bed um, from the gentle with the gentleman, as Mike mm-hmm. pointed out, the, <laughs> the, it was just like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there wasn't really any build up to anything, you know what I mean? So it was just, it was just a story and like things happened and then they did, they were over we're, you're right. Everyone's talking about that scene because they've hyper-focused on that scene and everything that went into it and how really good it was that you probably wouldn't have even realized had we not been told. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a six or seven minute scene and it's the only scene in the movie where we just watch him conduct for an, an extended amount of time. We get little snippets here and there, but that's the only time we just like, like through a whole, I don't think it's a whole song, like a, like the whole movement or whatever, but Mm-mm. still it's, it's a long enough period that we're like, okay. Um, and it, it's supposed to mean something and it kind of does because his wife's there and they sort of come close to reconciling a little bit. You can sort of see that she, like you got a feeling that he wouldn't in the movie. Now you get a feeling that he wouldn't be able to do it that well if she wasn't there. Um, yeah, they, and... have, they have a nice moment after. Yes, absolutely. I, um, I read, I read that, um, like you said, he trained for six years for that scene. And then the reason they didn't do many, many of those scenes was that because he, he felt Leonard Bernstein was so talented that he couldn't even match it. And so they just right. focused on that one thing yeah. to kind of showcase it all. And, and they almost undo it the hard work and everything that he puts in by showing the real Leonard Bernstein at the end conducting like right before the, like during the credits. So it's like, now that we see like the real guy, <laughs> we're like, Oh, Oh, did we I- hear nothing from what's love got to do with it? When Angela Bassett became <laughs> Tina Turner and then they bring out the same exact thing, footage of Tina Turner at the end, which I guess is a nice homage, but it took totally, I totally believed she was Tina Turner. I believed he was Leonard Bernstein. And then you're just like, you're right. They show the real person. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wait a minute. Boom. <laughs> I just woke up. Yeah. Go back to mm-hmm. black and white. But there um, are generations of people who will, like myself, who will never be able to see the actual Leonard Bernstein conduct, a, a, you know, and this should be, in some ways, this should be like the closest thing that you can get. Um, and like I said, I think, I think Bradley, if that was his goal and his intention, I think he kind of failed there because I don't really feel like I came out of it going, holy crap, that was, I mean, I really feel like if I'd seen Leonard Bernstein conduct something, I'd be, I'd come out and be like, you know, practically orgasmic or whatever, you know, and, and after watching it in this movie, I'm kind of like, eh, it's all right. (laughs) I didn't feel like it was just all right. I, I respected it. And I think that one scene that we've been talking about in the cathedral, you know, proved, you know, how powerful of a conductor he was. And it was just amazing. He had the musicians in the palm of his hand and they were following every move and he was, you know, guiding them through. And was it uh, Mahler's Resurrection Symphony? And it was beautiful. It was just the power in that. And, the, you know, you could see the sweat on him and how much emotion he was putting into that. And it was just like, wow, that was 
you know, amazing. And yes, seeing the real, you know, Leonard Bernstein at the end was just like, that's just a tease, man. <laughs> so, but it was, it was interesting. I, I, I respected him for what he did and it. Like you said, is it making me want to go see more Leonard Bernstein? Yes, of course it is. You know, and there's performances out there on video that you can see. And, but, you know, it's, you know, did I want to research his life more, find out more about the man? No, not at all. After seeing this. It could be too. I mean, obviously, you know, I think the scale matters. So I watched it on Netflix, you know, late at night or whatever on my TV and which is, you know, sizable, but it's not like if I'd seen it in a Dolby theater, you know, would it, would it have moved me to tears? It probably would have had a better chance. Right. And you shouldn't watch things... it on your 33 inch. I just watched it on my phone. Is that fine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with a pair of earbuds in it, you know. Yeah, that's the best way to watch it. Is that fine? Is that okay? Watch it on a plane? Yeah, that, on the screen on the back of somebody's chair. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right in the middle of the orchestra, it freezes and goes, yeah. would you please return, buckle your seatbelts? We're preparing we're for We're some turbulence. Exactly. I know. I know filmmakers love that stuff, right? They love their movies mm -hmm. watched that way, right? That's a perfect exactly. thing. Um, I, will, I will say this though, and everything, I think it jumped a bit too much. It rushed some of the scenes, which I wish they would have had more like connection between the different scenes and everything. And it reminded me a bit of Napoleon that we reviewed a couple of weeks back that, you know, Napoleon jumped way too quick and everything. It like, uh, we talked about it on the show and we said, it was the fastest long movie that we've ever seen, you know, and it felt with this that they were kind of doing the, some of the same things. The scenes and the years were jumping boom, 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 right through. And, you know, I wish it had more exposition between it a little bit. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, and, and like you, I, like I said, I think there were a lot of great scenes, individual scenes, oh, yeah. but then the connective tissue between them, I don't know if it really worked for me um they seemed not random but they were disjointed um it didn't seem like one naturally led to another um so i i you know i didn't come out of this like yeah thinking that was one great story i was like oh those are a lot of really great powerful scenes put stitched together Mm -hmm. Best best scene That's when he's in the convertible and REM is playing Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> I knew I figured Mike was gonna mention that actually. I was like, I was saving that. I was, that. I was like, to, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my highlights about it. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to me that he was still around when that song came out. I have no idea. See, but we don't get to see his reaction to it, which is a little disappointing. Um and, it was and, just playing on the radio he, when he pulled yeah, up. The... I guess he, he really only survived like what three years after that song came out or something like that. Yeah, that, that that came out what eighty six, eighty seven. I, 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 I read three years. Yeah. Yeah, and he died in ninety. So. Yeah. Plus, he didn't. Um, know. He, it would have been longer, but he didn't know about it right away. Mm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Word didn't get around to Leonard Bernstein that he was in the song for six months. Hey, the band so. from Georgia, dude, they play. 
All right. Um, any other thoughts on any of the supporting actors? Uh, Mikey mentioned Maya Hawk. It's always great to see her. Of course, she's got a great lineage behind her, but I think she's still by herself manages to impress uh, manages to impress me um every time i see her we saw her in uh atlantic's um, asteroid city earlier yes. uh this year um of course she's from stranger things and i just think she's she's great she's, she's really been, really she, good she's yeah. really good yeah she's been popping up in a lot of different things and i think she's going to be huge talent in the future so. mm-hmm Sarah Silverman. Um, Sarah Silverman was going to be the other one I was going to mention. Mm-hmm. She was awesome. Yeah, it feels like as... I haven't seen her in a while. She hasn't done a ton of movies. She's been doing other projects. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna uh, pivot to the Jew face um, conversation real quick using Sarah Silverman Uh-oh. because sure. See, what, what really struck me right so there was this whole controversy right at the yes. beginning with his nose in which they caught the one still photo. That made his nose look like what one would call a giant Jewish person's nose and then made a big shtick about it, forgetting all the real other context that went behind it. But what was interesting to me was that one of the biggest celebrity proponents against non-Jews playing Jews or Jew face, she actually coined the term, was Sarah Silverman. So to see her in the movie was interesting to me because Here's a guy that they've slot, <laughs> they put a lot of prosthetics on to make him more stereotypically Jewish. I mean, it's how he looks, but you know, the big nose, let's face it. That's, you know, when you're talking about like stereotypical drawings and stuff like that, that's uh, I think the Jews got the corner on that one. And so it was just interesting. But when I was watching it, if you literally watch the movie, there's not a time that I think, Oh, this didn't look natural. Bradley Cooper, I thought, looked great. I mean, to me, he mm-hmm. looked like Leonard Bernstein. I mean, it was just like, yeah. they, I thought they did an amazing job, you know? Um, and so, you know, I think that was just, everyone has to have a problem with something. So, that well, was I mean, they were focusing on the nose, but like I said, I mean, the chin, the ears were longer. Like, I mean, they, and the hair, the way that, the, I mean, I, I thought, the entire makeup job was great on him because I, I did not look at him and see Bradley Cooper. Um, you know, obviously it takes a few minutes when you're watching something and you know what Bradley Cooper looks like and you're, you know, you know what this Bradley Cooper. So you're like, okay, my brain has to figure this out. But then, you know, I think within the first few minutes I'm, I'm sold. Um, and I think black and white kind of helped that a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Because it kind of, it kind of masks a lot of the, the prosthetic glue that we see sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. Although the now most of it can be corrected with CG and, and all of that. So I, I think that, you know, this, this, yeah, he didn't look like a Hirschfeld painting or picture portrait, like caricature, right? He looked like, no, yeah, he, exactly. he looked great. And like as older Leonard Bernstein, I thought oh, he looked even better. Oh, I mean, that was, yeah. yeah. You know, when you think about like Chris Evans is old Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like this is like, I mean, he looked, uh, like, I really believed this guy was like 80 or whatever he was. I mean, it was just it was, exactly it was unbelievable makeup. Unbelievable. Yeah. But Jeff, no, Jeff, to your point, that was one of the cool things. Oh, no. It, one of the cool things with it. You know, when I, you know, when I heard all the, the controversy over the nose and everything, I fully was expecting to see like a Jim, Jimmy Durante nose or something like that <laughs> or a Groucho nose. That's what, they, that's what they made you think of. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, totally. They did. And I, well, then when I saw him on the screen when the movie opened, it was 
it's fine. It's no big deal. You know, they're making a ton of BS out of nothing. It's, well, it's a whole, I mean, it's a, well, part of the conversation is, you know, it's like there's this whole thing where, like, um, you know, you have to be whatever you are that you're acting, right? And mm-hmm. it does, you know, what I mean, and so it does seem that the only exception to the rule is our Jews. Non-Jews can play Jews, <laughs> but everyone else, everyone blows a fit over. <laughs> but you don't see that for Jewish characters, right? It's like, it's fine. But I, I tell you, Bradley Cooper, he can, Tony Shalhoub, they can play Jews anytime they want. I mean, <laughs> and they're perfect. They I mean, are great. I, Bradley Cooper was so good. And it's, it just goes to show you, like when you're acting, it's the intent, it's the love, it's everything that you're putting behind this character. That's what matters. That was amazing acting. Bradley Cooper acted his ass off and brought Leonard Bernstein to life. And frankly, he did it. It was his passion. It's not like he just got the job and they slapped a nose on him. Like this is no. something he wanted. This is something that he he wrote this movie. He directed this movie. He wanted to bring this person to life. And all that has to be kind of factored in when you're having this conversation about who should play who and stuff. I uh, I want to add to that too because it's not just Bradley Cooper that was getting under fire too, or the uh, the casting of Carrie Mulligan, who plays Felicia Montalegre, who is a uh, who was a Costa Rican actress, um, and you know it's like oh we're just going to hire a British person to play now. Um, I will say as much as I really appreciate Carrie Mulligan and I, I love the scenes of them together um, and her acting in this, I did not get a Costa Rican vibe from her at all right. in and this was, movie. She had a British accent most of it. So, I mean, you know, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that's kind of like, well, uh, I, I don't try to assign like i i don't i don't believe personally i don't believe that only people of certain ethnicities can play characters of certain ethnicities because then you're going to put yourself in a box and everybody else in boxes that you can't break out of so i think there needs to be some creative freedom now as long as it's treated and you know uh respectfully i don't see a problem with it um there have been times when it's not been treated respectfully especially the whitewashing that's been done in Hollywood for like the whole history of it. Right. But, um, so, you know, I could see where people are, have concerns about the way that the casting is done in this movie. Um, and it's great that they bring that out because I, I mean, I don't think it, you know, if people want to be critical of the movie for that, then that's their choice. But I don't. I didn't get the sense that it was anything offensive or disrespectful in the movie, and I think that's yeah, what I the agree. key is. Um, I agree. Uh, so, but I mean, it is. You know, I mean, otherwise you just have to like, yeah. I don't know what you can do about it, really. What can you do? <laughs> what can what, what, what can you can do? You do? <laughs> I know that you know. I'm like, I'm actually kind of worried because I'm like, okay. Uh, sometimes some of us have like, I think some of uh, me, me, you know, I don't know whether to say Bernstein or Bernstein. Like, so I, I don't want to be I think offensive in that. I think, I think it's Bernstein, Bernstein, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to be offensive in that way either. Well, you can print, no. I think it, they, I think it happens to be Leonard Bernstein or Stein, yeah. Stein or whatever. Bernstein, I mean, it's pronounced yeah. either way. It just depends how they pronounce it. The spelling mm-hmm. goes either way. 
Yeah, I mean, so well, it's, it's the same thing how my grandmother thought for many years that Bruce Springsteen was a nice Jewish boy. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, that, you know. But Adam Sandler put that one to rest. Bruce oh, Springsteen, not a Jew. But you All right. Well, um, <laughs> let's uh, let's rate it. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll do it over like you know five stars, I guess. Uh, where do we rank this as far as uh, you know whether people should check it out? It's on Netflix, so you don't have to pay any additional extra if you're already a subscriber to Netflix. You can watch it. Um, Jeff, should people check out Maestro? I definitely think you should watch it. Whether I think you're going to run to watch it again, no, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it one time. I'm going to give it like a four, I think, because I really think it's, it's very, I think, I, I think it's worth, I think you should check it out. Yeah. If okay. don't watch Aquaman 2, <laughs> if, no, if you were going to watch no, no, Aquaman no. 2, or if you did watch Aquaman 2, uh, you owe it to yourself to watch this. I just think it's a great filmmaking. It's like a blockbuster indie film. That's how I kind of looked at it, you know? Mm, interesting. Cool. Mike? No. Um. I'm going to give this one a solid four. Originally, it was interesting. Uh, when I was first watching, it, I was like, mm, it's okay. It's okay. But I started getting more into the characters, more riveted to it. And it just started getting, to me, it was got better and better as the film went on. And the performances were amazing. Carrie Mulligan, if she does not win Best Actress for this, I'll be shocked. You know, unless they're going to give it to Barbie. But, you know, that's a whole different story. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm thinking... Hi, Barbie. Here's your Oscar. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's a pink Oscar. <laughs> pink Oscar, of course. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely. I think before. It's a very solid film. I definitely recommend you watch it. And, you know, it's it's entertaining. And that's what you want from a movie. And it has its faults. That's why I didn't give it a five or anything higher than a four. But, you know, it's entertaining and it's, it, if it's on my top 10 list, it'll probably be number 10 for my list of this year. And, you know, that's saying a lot right there. I think, uh, I think Maestro is a, a solid effort. I, I, I applaud um, Bradley Cooper for taking such a big swing because I, I do think um, there was a lot to try. Uh, that was a challenge in this movie. Um, and I think for the most part, he succeeded uh, I wish that it was written better. I think that was my big thing. I, I just wish that, you know, it, it connected better. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but I do think the performances are worth, worth checking out in of itself. Uh, I'd give this a three and a half. Um, so uh, slightly down on it than you guys, but I still think it's worth checking out, especially, you know, it's not going to cost you anything extra if you have Netflix. So um so, uh, so that being said, that's our rating for this. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll, well, it remains to be seen at some point. Maybe I'll check out Aquaman 2 and see if, you know, if that was, <laughs> that, if that was, yeah, a see if it's better than this one. Mike. See, see yeah. it's better than this one. So, so is it the savior uh, of the DCU that they've been hoping for? Well, too late for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Zachary Levi talked himself out of his job. So, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> yes every week um so anyway i'm curious to see what bradley's going to do next uh i think there's some really like he's going to be capable of some really amazing stuff i think um, mm -hmm. so um well cool so uh check that out on netflix and we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to close out the show
Welcome to Geek Girls Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this Geek Girl is talking about the third Doctor Who special, The Giggle. The Giggle is the third and final special for the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. It has the Doctor and Donna returning to Earth, finding Wilf waiting for them to return because Earth is in chaos, and it normally is when the Doctor is involved. It doesn't take long for Unit to come and get the Doctor and Donna and explain what is going on. The Doctor also learns that his old companion Mel is working for Unit now, which I loved the addition of Mel into this episode, as well as the older companions returning in the newer seasons. It makes me so happy to see the Doctor Who coming full circle with new and old coming together. The Doctor learns that a terrifying villain from his past, the Toy Maker, played by Neil Patrick Harris, and let me tell you, he was so awesome in this role. Well, the toy maker has made a puppet whose laugh is driving the people of Earth insane by making everyone think that they are right about everything. The doctor has to play a game with the toy maker that ends in him regenerating, but this time he's splitting into two versions of himself. The special gives us Shudigatwa as the first appearance of his doctor, and I loved how he came in. His energy and charisma off the bat as the Doctor was fantastic, and I cannot wait to see more of his series and his Christmas special, because we all know the Christmas specials are some of my absolute favorite things about Doctor Who. I'm also really, really interested to see what the consequences are of the Toymaker leaving his tooth that has the Master stuck in it, and some of the really cryptic things that he said to the Doctor before the Toymaker was defeated. What are we going to see in this new season? Like, it sounds like some really big stuff is going to happen, and I'm really, really excited. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. What's new on the 42 cast? Let's ask my co-hosts. We're talking about Doctor Who. Comic book shows and movies. And we're talking about all things Star Trek. (laughs) And so much more. Check us out on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. It's only on the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. So, Nathan, when are we finally talking Babylon 5? So, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Jeff, thank you, my friend. Thank you, guys. This was always a blast. I know we had to beg and plead to get you on the show, but we do appreciate <laughs> I will never uh, turn down begging and pleading. Of course. <laughs> you know, please, please join us. Anything you want to shout out about or promote? Uh, you can check out my podcast, Classic Conversations. Uh, it's on all your podcast networks. You can check out my, my startup. It's uh, stampede.social. You're uh, heavy on Instagram and you're looking to uh, help drive listens or anything like that. Uh, built a pretty cool technology there. Um, awesome. But, but yeah, so. That is awesome. And always happy holidays to you and your family, my friend. Happy holidays to you guys. Happy New Year, everyone. Everyone gets this comes out right before the New Year. So uh, very cool. And Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, yeah, I do. I want to uh, give a quick shout out to uh, a cartoonist uh, that's been doing this for a long time, uh, cartooning for a long time, uh, Patrick McDonald, 
has a strip called Mutt's, which is just uh, one of my favorite strips uh, that's still in. I know that people still do funny pages and uh, funny uh, comic strips. And, and yes, Patrick McDonald's been doing it for a long time. But uh, he uh, recently overtook like a really big endeavor for him. Uh, he had a storyline that lasted, I think it was about seven weeks total. Uh, one of the characters that is in his strip um, uh, is called Guard Dog. And it's basically a dog that uh, is uh, chained and is always pictured chained to in his front yard or in the backyard. Um, and it's sort of been a... It's sort of the role of this character is to raise awareness for the cruelty of tethering and, and just leaving animals out. In, and we've all, we all know... Unfortunately, neighbors who do this, uh, it is cruel and it is uh, awful. And Guard Dog was introduced in the strip in 1995. And Patrick has always said that he, one day before he ends the strip, he will free Guard Dog. And that, uh, that wonderful moment came uh, this past month during, like I said, a seven week um, storyline. And I think he's, he has plans if people missed it in the newspaper or online, wherever you get your comic strips, please, uh, check it out. I think it's going to be released in book format as well, but it was really touching story. Um, and it was probably one of the most ambitious things that Patrick McDonald has ever done. Um, uh, and I applaud him. It's not very often these days where you hear about the comic pages making the news. So good for him for doing that. Um, and, uh, it just shows that, you know, it's still a valid art form that I think people should check into and check out and take seriously because it's, uh, there's still people actually doing some really great stuff in it. So, and yes, and don't, if you know someone or, you know, please don't, don't tie your dog up in the backyard and leave him there for like, oh, God, no. overnight no, 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 or whatever. No, 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 no. I mean, unfortunately we just... I mean, we hear barking all the time in our subdivision because people do that. Um, almost everybody I know knows somebody who just leaves their dog out all the time. And it's like, it's cruel. Don't do it. I don't know why these people even have pets if they're going to treat them like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. And I know so many people who have gotten pets for Christmas or Hanukkah or for whatever holiday they celebrate right now. And folks, keep those dogs inside and you know, as they get older, you know, they're going to do stuff and everything. Have some patience and everything. Don't send them back to the pound just because they chewed up a pillow or peed on the inside of the house or something. You know, patience, my friends, patience. They're now members of your family. You wouldn't send your kids away, would you? Well, no, let me change that subject there. You know, we're not going to touch on that one right there at all. So I think if people had the choice, they might. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, my shout-out real quick. Um, of course, we have the premiere of the Doctor Who Christmas special this last week, and we got Chudi Gatwa in his first full episode as the 15th Doctor. And you know what? It was wonderful. It was great to see him and to see him in action. We got him a bit at the end of the 60th anniversary, the giggle, and it was just, it was great to actually see him on his own and with his new companion, Ruby Sunday. And it was just a ton of fun. And we're going to be talking all about it this week on Earth Station Who. <laughs> Shocker there, folks. 
And so please join us for that. And I'm going to announce it now that on January 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern, we are going to be doing a live Doctor Who um, special for talking about the state of Hootieism. Talking, so we're going to be talking about all three specials, talking about the Christmas special, and you know, talking about how things went. How, did it work? Did it not work? What did we think about it? And a lot of folks who listen to Earth Station who have already know what we thought about those. But it's going to be nice because we'll have a live audience with us and everything. So we'll be up on YouTube. We'll be up on StreamYard. We'll be up um, up on Facebook on in different locations. So definitely look out for the banners coming soon. So definitely join us for that. We definitely would appreciate that. It's going to be a ton and ton of fun. And, you know, we'll have some folks who haven't been on the show for a bit. And we already are lining up who we're getting and everything. So it should be a great conversation and it's just fun doing a live episode like that. So it should be tons of cool stuff. All right. That's it for this week. Thank you as always for being here. It was fun talking about Maestro and, you know, Ashley, get better if you get a chance. We miss you, hon. Go better. Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. Always remember, we couldn't do this without you guys and more so now than for before. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our T Public store and get some really cool ESO Network swag. Wanted to say also thanks to also our friends over at our Patreon. We have a great group of patrons over there who have been supporting us for quite some time. And you know what? As the new year comes to an end, thank you guys for a wonderful 2023. And hopefully, you know, we got great things planned for 2024. So definitely stick with us. We would really appreciate it. And you too could become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. We also want to hear from you as always. Please check us out at feedback at earthstation1.com. Write us. Tell us what you think about the show. Tell us what you, you know, want to see us do over the next couple of months, years, whatever, you know, because, you know, we got a lot of things planned and we got a lot of good things going on with the network. So, you know what? Definitely check it out. Remember, you can find Earth Station 1 wherever fine podcasts are found. And now we are up on YouTube Music. That's right, folks. We can be heard through the uh, YouTube mobile app. And that's plays music and such. And it's pretty cool. We're up there with a lot of other podcasts from the ESO network. So def definitely find Earth Station 1. And of course, if you're watching us and you've made it this far into the video up on YouTube, thank you. We do appreciate you. Please, you know, rate us how many stars you want or wherever you're listening to it. And, of course, give us a thumbs up up on YouTube. And also, if you made it this far, like and subscribe. We would really appreciate it. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mike Faber, Mr. Jeff Droskin, and, of course, Howdy Mike Gordon. Thank you so much. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Everyone, have a happy and safe new year. And we'll see you in 2024. Peace, and we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. 
Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.